Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are going to read from God's Word. Uh, we're going to start in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to start in Leviticus and read chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. And then we're going to move into Matthew. All right. Okay. Leviticus 18, 1 to 5. The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So now turning to Matthew and we're going to read chapter 19 in its entirety. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, 
If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Thanks, Bron. Thank you. And good morning, everyone. Again, Paul Cooper's my name. Um, And it's great to see you all again here so soon after Christmas and welcome uh, and let me add my welcome to Craig's too if you're new or you're visiting this morning. uh, So great to have you here with us this morning. Well let's pray shall we as we begin. Heavenly Father we do thank you for this new morning. Uh, Thank you for gathering us here around your word. Father we ask this morning you'd give us ears to hear. Father help us to see your truth and we pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So I thought I'd start uh, this morning by asking a question, and the question is, have you ever been in a situation where you you realised at some point after that you were just thinking about the situation all wrong? Uh, Maybe even when you came to this new realisation, it it changed what you were doing, perhaps? Um, Made me think of years ago now, my family and I, we were driving across the Nullarbor, and so the Nullarbor, if you've been there, it's the middle of nowhere, and we were somewhere west of Eucla, and um, there was this huge storm front coming towards us. And because the Nullarbor is so flat, you can see for miles and miles ahead. And so we saw this um, storm front, it was coming towards us, and we were getting closer. And so there was lightning sort of all around us, you know, all through the clouds. And the kids were much younger then, and they were quite worried about this lightning. And they said, what if we get struck by lightning, Dad? And I said, you don't need to worry about that. Um, it's sheet lightning. It's only lightning across the clouds, and sheet lightning doesn't hit the ground, can't touch us, so don't worry about it. Um, But we got a bit closer, and as I said it, there was this almighty crack, and fork lightning struck the ground, just a little bit like this behind us, and then once that happened, well, the voices in the back, they erupted, and um, well, it changed my view entirely, really, of our presence in the storm, because we were the tallest object for miles around the place, and the car was made of metal. And uh, made me realise, actually, the reality was lightning was hitting the ground. So driving along normally towards the storm, well, maybe that wasn't the best thing to be doing at the time. And so we turned off the road and we found some shelter. 
in Eucla. Well, that's a fairly uh, unimportant example of change of uh, an example of change because of seeing things differently. That's a minor example of that. Uh, but this chapter here in, in Matthew 19, it shows us something far more important in that regard. It shows that when we understand Jesus and the reality of his kingdom, it changes how we see things, actually. It massively changes the way we see things and actually changes the way that we live now. And actually, once we come to that realisation, we begin living for the kingdom. And living for the kingdom is so much different than living for the world. Like that Fort Lightning made me turn off the road, change direction. But the reality of the kingdom of God actually changes the direction of our lives. And that's what we'll see as we explore chapter 19 here this morning. The reality of Jesus' kingdom, it massively changes the way that we live right here and now. So we're going to look at this in three parts. Living for the world, that's our first point. Living for the kingdom and following the king of the kingdom. They're the three points that we'll look at this morning. So firstly, living for the world. Well, in this chapter, uh, you would have heard at the beginning as Bron was reading that, Jesus, he's making his way down, from, uh, down to Jerusalem, I should say. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he'll soon be put to death. So uh, you can see here on this map, he's coming down from Galilee. He's somewhere there in the region of Judea. And this group of Pharisees come up and they ask him, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? That's there in verse 3. Can you divorce your wife for any reason at all? And they're referring back to the Old Testament. There's a provision in, in the law in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And so they're referring back to this. And Deuteronomy 24 says this. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes a wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. So Deuteronomy here it's talking about remarrying your divorced wife, but the Pharisees are talking about the first part of that. The Pharisees are talking about a man who finds something indecent about his wife. And what are the reasons under which he can divorce her, they ask. So the question here is, what does indecent mean? What does indecent mean and on what basis can the husband divorce her? And there are a range of views amongst the Jewish uh, teachers of the time so some said well it's only unfaithfulness that's the only reason and others said well it could pretty much be anything including cooking a bad meal and so no doubt the pharisees here thought this was a good question to ask jesus because no matter what he said he was probably going to offend somebody but did you notice what jesus does here he doesn't actually side with anyone what he does is he goes back to creation and he says, well, God's intention is that marriage is between a male and a female, that they would become one flesh, they'd be joined by God, and his intention is that they wouldn't divorce, except for adultery, he says here. 
Now, there's much more that we could say about marriage and what the Bible's got to say about marriage and divorce. And for anyone who'd like to talk more about that or might find this passage um, confronting, um, I'm very happy to talk about that uh, after the service. Um, Life does get messy and complex. But I'm not uh, not focusing specifically on marriage in this talk. Uh, It's just to say that it's clear from Jesus' words here, at least in this passage, that from the beginning... God didn't desire divorce. And so what that does is tightens things up a fair bit for the Pharisees. And they're not too keen about it. And so they ask in verse 7, Well, if that's the case, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why did he do that? And Jesus corrects them and he says, Well, actually, Moses permitted it. Moses permitted that. It wasn't a command. And he only permitted it because of sin, because of hard hearts. Actually, it was a concession. And it was allowed as a preference over continued indecency. But, says Jesus, it wasn't that way from the beginning. And it's not only the Pharisees here that are feeling uncomfortable because of Jesus' answer. There's others, the disciples here also are feeling a little bit uncomfortable because in verse 10, they say, well, if that's the case, maybe it's better not to get married. You know, as a bloke, you know, if we're going to become committed and we can't just wiggle out very easily, well, maybe it's better to stay single. You wouldn't want to get trapped with no options, would you? That seems to be the point of view that we're getting here. Now, do you think that sounds like a quite a self-centered point of view it's quite a selfish viewpoint isn't it well in australia between 2000 and 2019 marriage rates fell by about 16 percent and in roughly that same period the number of people living together unmarried rose by about 50 percent in living together it has all the benefits of marriage doesn't it but there's no commitment not really. I mean, in that arrangement, you can walk out any time. There's no till death do us part type commitment made in that arrangement. And so today, in our society, is the attitude all that much different from the attitude we see here from the Pharisees and the disciples? Not really. Perhaps today what we see in our society is that My marriage must fulfill me first before I'll fulfill it. Otherwise, it's better to find fulfillment somewhere else. That's what's good for me. So perhaps from that point of view, today's environment isn't all that different to back then. Well, further on in the passage, a rich man approaches Jesus And he asks him how to obtain eternal life. He says he's kept all the commandments that Jesus lists. But Jesus puts his finger right on that man's problem when he challenges him to leave all his wealth behind and follow him. And the man can't do it. And then the disciples, did you notice here, they're astonished when Jesus says how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom. They're astonished because as far as the world measures it, 
this man was successful, wasn't he? He looked successful. He would have looked like he had God's blessing already. This man had wealth. And from that he would have had status. He would have had power. But he couldn't give it up. He couldn't give it up for Jesus. And he couldn't give it up for eternal life. Which seems a little strange, don't you think? He, he specifically asked about eternal life. He specifically asked how to obtain that. So he knows there's more to existence than just this life. But then he couldn't give up the things that he can't take into eternity anyway. It seems odd, doesn't it? That someone would understand that and not be able to make that choice. And today in Australia, we do live in a very wealthy country. I think um, Stephen was talking about that in the All Ages spot. If we, if we live here, even if we don't have very much, we are very wealthy globally. And today in our society, the wealthy and the influential, they're the ones that are held up of having sort of made it, aren't they? We consider them to be the successful ones. But, you know, I've told uh, loads and loads of people about God and, and what I believe. And do you know of all the people I've spoken to about that, I think there's only one that I can remember who's been quite certain Uh, at least in what they've told me, that they don't think there's anything after this life. And even then, I wasn't sure that's exactly what they believed. Most people will tell you there probably is something next. Most people will tell you that. Probably. But most will pay it far less attention than their bank balance. It doesn't really make sense, does it, when you think about it like that? But these are examples of what it looks like to live for the world. But to live for the kingdom is very different. Living for the kingdom changes everything. And this brings us to our second point, which is living for the kingdom. Now, towards the end of uh, what Bron read for us in verse 28, Jesus says there's going to be a renewal of all things, that the world's passing by and that the eternal kingdom is coming. And he's on his way to Jerusalem to bring that kingdom into being, which he did by dying and being raised again to be with the Father. And as I said, if you believe there is a kingdom of God, well, then it changes the way you look at this life. It changes the way you live. You're no longer focused on the world. You live for the kingdom, which is eternal. And so if you believe that there is a kingdom of God, then God's plan for marriage becomes very important. It's not about me and my fulfillment anymore. You know, Once married, we are one flesh, an earthly unity that's given by God. It's not many fleshes, it's one. It's brought together through sexual union between a man and a woman. That's God's design for marriage and that was his design for marriage from the beginning, a relationship between a man and a woman that provides the safety and security of a lifelong commitment that they've made to each other. That's a safe place for sexual union and a new family. And that is very different, isn't it, to self-interest and sexual gratification in a relationship with no real commitment. They are very different things. And the disciples made that comment in verse 10, that, well, better, perhaps better to remain unmarried. 
Better for them, they meant. Better for them so they could keep their options open. But Jesus' response focuses them back on the kingdom and away from their own self-interest. He says in verses 11 and 12, in response to the, the comment that the disciples made, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those whom it's been given. There are eunuchs who were born that way, eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept it should accept it. See, a eunuch is not able to have a sexual relationship. And so when the disciples here are saying, well, it might be better to remain unmarried, Jesus says, well, the ones who are able to live like that for the sake of the kingdom should. Some will be called to serve the kingdom and give up the pleasures of marriage. Not many, but some. And he's not saying that serving that way is a higher calling or that everybody should try and serve in that way. What he's saying here is that we should live for the eternal kingdom. Live for the eternal kingdom. And some will be given the capacity and the calling to live and serve the kingdom unmarried. Others to serve while married. Either way, live for the kingdom. Not for the world that's passing by. And it's a similar argument for the rich man. Give up all your possessions, says Jesus, and follow me. Follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. So here Jesus offers him eternity. And instead the man chooses his earthly wealth. The thing about wealth and possessions is that eventually they will let you down. Money doesn't promise to stay with you forever, does it? And often actually the more of it that we have, the more likely is that we will get anxious about ever losing it. Or not having enough. And so here, why does the man choose earthly wealth? It's because when it comes right down to it, that's what he values most. He's not able to live for the kingdom. And Jesus knows it. He knows he's living for the world. And even though the world's passing away, he can't leave it all behind to live for the eternal kingdom, ultimately. Really, he's living for himself. Now, Jesus here is not saying that we should, or everyone should sell everything and give it all away. What he's saying is live for the kingdom. Put it first in your life. See the value of that, which is far greater than anything else. And that actually is a real challenge for us here in Australia because we are wealthy. So perhaps a way of us to think about that is to put ourselves in the rich man's shoes. Imagine Jesus opened that door and walked in here right now and he told all of us, sell everything, houses, cars, everything you've got, give it away and follow me. Could we do it? Now I'm not saying go out and do that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying thinking that way challenges us. So what do you reckon? So that brings us to our final point this morning, which is following the king of the kingdom. 
following the king of the kingdom. Every kingdom has a king, and so does the kingdom of God, and the king of God's kingdom is Jesus. And right at the very beginning of the chapter, if you remember, it said large crowds were following Jesus, and he healed them. And it points to what he ultimately came to do, heal those who follow him by bringing them back to know their creator. And Jesus was on his, his way down to Jerusalem to bring his kingdom into existence by dying, rising again and returning to the Father. His kingdom brings people and God back together and he does it forever because he died in our place. And he asks that we trust that he did it and that we follow him. And he doesn't say here in these words that it won't be costly It will be costly. Those who've been called to serve the kingdom and they remain unmarried, they give up much. If we are married, there's cost in serving each other in the way that God intended the marriage relationship to be. Fixing our eyes on the kingdom and off material things, well, that means we can be generous with what God's given us. And that does cost. It will be costly to follow the king, but it will be so worth it. Because Jesus says here in verses 29 and 30, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And what he means here is that no matter the cost, and he lists here huge examples as costs, doesn't he? Immediate family, everything you might own. But no matter the cost, the reward will be far greater. The reward will be eternal life with him. And he's not saying here, give up everything in life that makes life enjoyable. He's giving examples. And it's not following him just to get the reward. That would be to live in a worldly way, which is what he's been spending uh, all of these verses telling people to abandon. No, it's responding to his call, being prepared to pay the costs that we might be called to make. It's responding to his call and being prepared to pay the costs that we might be called to make. Because Jesus says what's in store for us is amazing an inheritance of eternal life. And sometimes that's hard to imagine, isn't it? To get our hands around and feel what that will be like when we have money and possessions and self-gratification and it's all there, right there in front of us. But what it takes is trust. It takes trust. And Jesus says to the disciples that the kingdom of God belongs to those like little children. They're in verse 14. Well, little children bring an innocent trust, don't they? They bring this innocent trust to every environment they enter into. It's only when we become adults that we become cynical and suspicious and start suspecting people's motives. But little children aren't like that. And Jesus says, trust me like a little child. Simple, absolute, uncomplicated trust. And it will be rewarded. It's the opposite of our world, isn't it? 
It's a sort of trust that often might get taken advantage of. Often we might see a sort of calculated cunning that gets rewarded in our world. But the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. It's where the last will be first and the first will be last. And so ultimately, which of those makes more sense? Follow the king. Live for the kingdom. Inherit eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Through turning to him in trust, we might be part of his eternal kingdom. Father, please help us to turn to him in a childlike trust, complete and uncomplicated. And Father, we ask that you'd help us to live for the kingdom now. We'd see this life through kingdom eyes and live in a way that makes sense with the knowledge of what you have in store for us for all eternity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.